I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. This evening we will learn of yet another reason why Jesus came to die. From Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, we learn that he died to enable us to live by faith. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. According to our call to worship in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Webster's Dictionary defines faith as belief without evidence. Belief without evidence. Now we know that we have the word of God and we have the prophecies of God and we have the stories all through the Old and the New Testament of God's dealings with humanity. But in reality, those are all stories in the past. Those are not things that we have personally experienced. In our day and age, it's difficult to know what to believe on the internet. Uh, even videos can be spliced and made to uh, uh, prove whatever the uh, announcer wants to prove or stories can be taken out of context. Uh, I can remember a number of years ago uh, I was uh, interviewed by the Times News when they did a story on big families. And there were three families that were featured in that article and ours was one of the families. And so they spent an hour with me on the phone, talking with me, asking me all kinds of questions, asking for my input. And I said to them, there's one thing that you want to get on this. And if you don't get anything else from this, you need to get this. Uh, the success of a family is determined by who's in charge. And so I said, if the parents are in charge, you could have 20 children. And it wouldn't be a problem. But if the children are in charge, you have literally a hell on earth. Because the parents are afraid of the children and the children do whatever they want to do and the parents just bide their time until the children are 18 years old and they move out. When the article ultimately came out, there was not one mention of that in the article. They mentioned a number of other things I had said but they didn't mention that. So people can crop and snip and edit and do whatever they want in an article and you don't know if what they're telling you is true or not. You don't know if it's uh, the heart of the article or the essence of it or not. So when Webster's Dictionary defines faith as belief without evidence, uh, we know that the evidence that we have is not only the Word of God, but the evidence we have is the life of a believer. That's the evidence that the world Demands. They want evidence. Uh, we, had, uh, we had visited, as I told you this morning, the Ark and the Creation Museum uh, in Kentucky, Williamstown, Kentucky. And uh, in the visit there of the Creation Museum, there was a video, about a 35-minute video, entitled uh, The Bill Nye-Kenham Debate Number 2. There was a debate that appeared on television, it was aired and all could see it, that was the debate number one. But the second debate was a private matter in which Bill Nye came to the ark and visited the ark and walked with uh, Ken Ham through the ark and they had, uh, Bill Nye had his camera crew and Ken Ham had his camera crew. 
And Ken Ham said, we had our camera crew just to make sure that they got everything correct. Because they assured us it would be completely unbiased. But he said, after the interview was done, in the newsprint uh, that was um, released about this uh, brief uh, encounter between the two men, it said, Bill Nye the scientist versus Ken Ham, the myth keeper, or something having to do with myths. And uh, the, the article put out by uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, was that Bill Nye used science and Ken Ham used mythology. And that was the way that they stated it. But the reality was that uh, Bill Nye kept saying, we see no evidence, we see no evidence of uh, a creation, of a young earth. We see no evidence of any of these things. And Bill Nye gave several points, but then the reality was, the real proof of the reality of God is the transformed life of a Christian. That how can you explain someone whose life was one way, and then their life is suddenly changed? And that change comes about by faith, by believing the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ by placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. That in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul describes the gospel he described it as uh, Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That Christ died to atone for the sins of his people. He was buried as proof of the fact that he had indeed died. And he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. As the word of God had proclaimed. As Christ himself had proclaimed. That the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was the means by which our sins were paid for. Because he was our substitutionary uh, servant. The one who died in our place. According to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans 10 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But here's the dilemma. We have a number of scriptures, and I don't have time to go through them tonight, but one, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, that talks about the fact that the, the natural man cannot perceive the things of the spirit because they are spiritually discerned. How does the natural man come to believe? If faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, we have colleges all over the United States that teach this course as a historical book. But the professors who teach this, most of the time, do not believe the book as it is written. I went to Mercier's College, which is now Mercier's University, 1972 to 1976. Because it was a Roman Catholic University or a college at that time, we were required to take two religion courses. The one I took was Introduction to the Bible, taught by a Roman Catholic nun. As we went through the course, she made it clear that she thought the creation account was a myth. That it was just a story meant to teach a truth. That's what a parable is. Parabole, a truth alongside a story, or a story alongside a truth. And so she, who was professed to be a follower of God, she believed that the, much of the Old Testament were fables and myths that were just uh, almost like Aesop's fables. They're just intended to teach a moral story. That's all that they're there for. But Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how does the man who is not regenerate, who does not have a relationship with God, how does he come 
to be a believer. How does this word transform him? How does that happen? And we know that according to the scripture we must be regenerated. And that regenerating faith comes through the grace of God. It doesn't come by us wishing it. Um, you know, we have to understand that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah 2.9 That Jesus' name was called Jesus because Jehovah saves or Jehovah is salvation. That he came to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to just make a people savable. He came to save them. And so Christ has a specific number of people that he came to suffer and die for. God the Father chose them from before the foundation of the world. Christ Jesus came and suffered and died for those individuals. And then the Holy Spirit was sent out on the day of Pentecost to go through all the earth and to draw to the Father those whom the Son had died for. Those whom the Father had given to the Son. Jesus made it clear in John 17 in his high priestly prayer when he said to the Father, all that you have given me I have kept except for one, the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That every single person that the Father had chosen and had given to the Son, the Son came and died for them, secured their salvation, didn't just make them savable. Our brother mentioned to us this morning that Christ did not come to die for every single human being. The reality is, when Christ said to Telestai, it is finished, uh, hung on the cross, those were the last words he uttered and then he gave up the ghost. What was finished was, he had accomplished the task that the Father had sent him to accomplish. He had atoned for the sins of his people. He had died for those whom God the Father chose and gave to the Son. It was done. Well, if every single human being was died for, then every single human being, their sins would be paid for. The illustration I've used so many times before is, if I get a speeding ticket, it doesn't matter whether I go down to the courthouse and pay for it. If someone goes to the courthouse and pays my speeding ticket, it's paid. Whether I want it to be paid or not, it's paid. And I've, the record has been expunged and I am not guilty. So if Christ paid the penalty of every single human being on earth, then whether they want the penalty to be paid or not, it's paid. And they are therefore not any longer under the wrath of God. But we know for sure the scripture says that the devil and his angels were the ones for whom hell was prepared. And according to the judgment listed for us in, in Matthew chapter 25, all those who reject Christ, they will go to that place prepared for the devil and his angels. That place of ultimate rebellion and torment. But regenerating faith, it comes through grace uh, of God. In Ephesians 2.8, uh, you're all very familiar, I would think, if you're familiar with your Bible, you're familiar with this verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we're being reminded at the beginning of this, as we look at this reason why Jesus came to die, it was to enable us to live by faith. It was to enable that to happen, to grant faith to us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul elaborates on that faith that came through the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ's death enabled us to live by faith. Not blind faith, but by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. So now the first point we see in this 20th verse of Galatians chapter 2 is we died with Christ. Now this is an important point. Those individuals that continually struggle and it's primarily the Arminians, those who believe that we choose God and it's all in the hands of man and it's all up to us. And we make the final decision and there's poor Jesus in heaven wringing his hands, wishing by some miraculous way that people would listen to him and follow him, but he just can't make them do it. You've heard the individuals 
In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've heard those individuals say, God is too much of a gentleman that he won't force his way in. He knocks. Anyone home? Come to the door. I'll save you. No. They don't want to come. What can I do? They don't want to come. I can't make them come. Well, we know from Romans chapter 3, no one will come. No one will come unless God does something first. God has to do the regenerating. God has to breathe the life into the soul of that individual for them for the first time to see that they are a sinner under the wrath of God. And that unless they repent, they will all likewise perish. So we died with Christ. <clears throat> That's what he says here in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. This passage explains the manner in which every believer comes to faith in Christ. We weren't born Christians. We were born sinners, naturally in rebellion against God. We didn't earn salvation. We didn't merit salvation. It came to us as a gift from God. And we were engrafted into the death of Christ. We weren't nailed to the cross as Jesus was. But all of our iniquities were nailed to Christ's cross. And we were symbolically nailed to the cross as well. We died when Christ died. When he died, our old, corrupt, and unregenerate self died with him. Now that's an important message to keep in mind. As I said, those Arminians who are those who believe that uh, they choose God, they wrestle all of their spiritual life with whether they believed good enough. I better go forward again. I, got, I better go pray at the front again. I better go ask Jesus to come in my heart again because I'm not sure if last time I was sincere enough, but this time I am. But then they go through a dry spell. A period in which their relationship with Christ is not as strong. It might be a month. It might be six months. And then they're in a worship service. And there's, a, there's an invitation given by the preacher. If, if you have never been born again, come forward and give your life to Christ here at the front. And they're sitting in their seat and they're thinking about the last month or six months or year that they haven't even talked to God. And they think, well now this time I'll, I'll, this time I'll be born again. I'll go forward this time. But what salvation is all about is that we die with Christ. That the old man, that old individual, died at the time that Christ died. Your soul was made alive through the resurrection of Christ. We died with Christ. We were engrafted into the death of Christ. When he died, again, our old corrupt and unregenerate self died with him. He put to death the old man. The purpose for the death of Christ, one of the purposes was to put to death the old man, your old man, the sinner, the unregenerate man, the natural man who, according to Ephesians chapter 2, came into this world under the wrath of God. We aren't under the wrath of God because we have accumulated a number of sins. We've accumulated a number of sins because we're sinners. We came into the world sinners. And as sinners, as we came into the world, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 says God is too holy to even look upon sin. We as fallen creatures, we not only look upon sin, we're very comfortable trafficking in sin. But when God saves an individual, he puts to death the old man. That man who will never again be alive. That old man is dead. Not dead and soon to rise from the dead physically, although at some point in time our bodies will be raised, but the, the idea is that old man has been put to death. He put to death the old man with all of its wickedness and all of its unbelief. 
this phrase when he says, I have been crucified, is in the Greek a perfect passive indicative. It may not mean anything to you, but the Greek language is a very specific language. The perfect tense is action that happened in the past that we continue to experience its effects today. That we don't die to Christ a number of times, or we didn't die in Christ a number of times. We die to self a number of times. If any man would come after me, let him uh, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But the perfect tense, it's that which happened in the past, never needing to be repeated again. That's our death with Christ. Our death with him on the cross was a once for all event. Once for all. I don't need to be saved again and again and again. Just like Christ doesn't need to die again and again and again. This is the struggle that we have with the Roman Catholic Church. Not to pick on the Roman Catholic Church, but their cross has Jesus still upon the cross. That the Mass is a continual sacrifice. It is sacrificing again. And to the mind, it is, it is will worship. It has this idea of wisdom. Great wisdom involved in this. Great holiness. Great piety. We're coming and we're asking the Lord to be crucified again just for us. When in reality, according to the book of Hebrews, he was crucified once and for all, never to be repeated again. The Old Testament sacrifices of the bulls and the goats and the sheep. They had to be repeated year after year after year. And there were daily sacrifices at the temple that had to be made daily, every single day to atone for the daily sins of the people. But this sacrifice on the cross happened only once. And just as Christ died only once, we died with him only once. The passive voice refers to the subject being the recipient of the action. In other words, we didn't cause ourselves to die with Christ. He caused us to die. We didn't crucify ourselves. He said in the passage that Christ crucified us. I have been crucified with Christ. And then the passive voice refers, excuse me, the um, indicative mood. The passive voice refers to the action being done to us. It was done to us, not by us. And then the indicative mood reflects the fact that it's action in a real sense. It's real action, not potential action. It actually happened. That when he says in verse 22, I have been crucified with Christ, it's a done deal. It has been effected. It was accomplished on the cross. And my death, my old man, has been crucified. So first of all, we died with Christ. But then he goes on. He states that Christ lives in us. Look at uh, Galatians 2.20 again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now this is somewhat of a contradictory statement. On one hand, I died, but now I'm alive. I'm living. What does he mean by that? It is no longer I who live. Well, we know I don't live. I was crucified with Christ. But he said, but Christ lives in me. A change has taken place. It hasn't just been that I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Christ, and in Romans chapter 6 we'll see in a minute, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we walk in newness of life as well. He says there are two eyes here. One eye died, and one eye lives. Not I, this eye, eyeball, but the eye. First person singular. I am. <clears throat> there are the two eyes here, one who died, one who lives. There was an eye who died and another one who is alive. The first eye, the natural eye, that was put to death when we believed the gospel. 
In Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, In him, speaking of Christ, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. A transformation had taken place. You believed the gospel, but as we'll see here in a minute, it was God who gave you the grace and the faith to believe the gospel. We were crucified with him, our old self put to death, and it is no longer alive. It wasn't just pushed aside. It wasn't just asked to stand off to the side. It died. That old self is gone. And since we shared Christ's death, we shall also share his resurrection. It didn't stop there where we died. It would be the same as with the death of Christ. How sad it would be. The two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, they were saddened as they're walking in the, the early afternoon. They're walking along and Jesus comes up to them and, and asks them why they're so sad. And they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened here in the last few days? They spoke of the fact that Jesus had been crucified. They knew that he had died. Peter specifically and John, those two, John was there. And Peter was off to the side looking from a, a distance. But there was the reality that they knew Christ had died. But this was... Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Some had said they saw the risen Christ, but they weren't for sure. Had this indeed happened, or was he still dead? The resurrection of Christ is the completion of the story, not the death of Christ. In Romans 6 and verse 5, Paul says this, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He didn't just cause the old man to die. He replaced the old man with a new man. This is the new birth. This isn't just changing your mind. Repentance is a change of the mind. But it happens because there's been a change in the soul. There's been a change of the person. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin, that is the old man might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And then if we jump down one, two verses down to verse 8, he says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. A new self is created. A new man is created or raised. This is the second I. So when he says here in, in uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is the second I. It is raised from the dead and indwelt by the Spirit of God. We were raised new creatures in Christ. You haven't just simply decided you're going to be a better person. Again, our brother mentioned that to us this morning. Saying that people who are not genuine Christians... They ultimately will lose interest. I remember years ago, oh, probably 15, 20 years ago maybe, when Rush Limbaugh really began to make inroads here in American airwaves. And there was a question as to whether he was just an entertainer. Is that all he is? Is he just looking for ratings? Because at times he was outlandish in the things that he held and believed. He was a staunch conservative. But someone made the astute observation that if he was just an entertainer, and he really didn't hold to these beliefs, he wouldn't be able to last that long. He would have run out of steam. He would have lost interest. He would have become bored. He would have been weary of the fight. 
Because he was in a fight, standing for conservative principles, he was always the object or the brunt of other people's criticisms. Other radio hosts, entertainment people, sports individuals. He was constantly being ridiculed. And the observation was, if this was just pretend, if this was just an act as an entertainer trying to get ratings, he would have run out of steam long ago. Same with a person who professes to be a Christian but isn't a Christian. It's difficult. If you are a Christian, it's difficult to live the Christian life. It's difficult. The world is against you. When I was a Christian, I was in a rock band. I was the lead screamer in a rock band. And I had become a Christian. And I wasn't quite sure how to tell my friends that I would become a Christian. We were only 18 years old. But we would oftentimes engage in drinking beer when we were practicing. And one of the guys that would bring the beer into the house, he would have a gym bag. He'd have it full of beer. But he'd leave uh, a guitar cord hanging out of the bag to make it look like, see, it's just chords. Nothing to see here, just chords. And he'd come in the house and we'd be practicing in the basement and we'd be playing these songs. And they said to me, hey, would you like a beer? I said, no, no, that's right. I'll, I'll just have a Pepsi. Why don't you want a beer? I said, I don't, I just, I just want a Pepsi. Well, what's wrong? How come you don't want a beer? I, I just don't want a beer, okay? I just want a Pepsi. And it kept going and kept going and kept going until ultimately I told them that I was a Christian. We're all Christians. We're Christians. There's nothing wrong. How come you can't be a Christian like we are? And ultimately it ended up in the group disbanding. Everybody going their separate way. And I became the religious nut. I was the one that everybody knew was different from the rest of them. So he says here a new self is created. We're raised new creatures in Christ. And ultimately there's going to be a parting of the ways with the world. You are not the same as the world. You're not going in the same direction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul the Apostle said, We're to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That takes a great deal of courage. It takes a great deal of courage to come out from among them. These are your friends that you've been friends with for a long time. One of the guys that was in our group, I, I've, I've known him since he was five years old. He was the best man at my wedding. We were dear friends. But we were at odds with one another. And it has remained that way even to this day. So the second I here is that it is this I that's been made a new creature in Christ. That the new self is one in which Christ is living in me. It's not just simply that the old man has died and now there's a new guy. The new guy has Christ living within him. Christ is present in me at all times. There's a shadow of this in Psalm 46 verse 1. The shadow says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Very present. That means right there with us. When the angel Gabriel was reminding Joseph of what was taking place with the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary, and he quoted from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and he says, you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. A very present help. He's right there. That he continually strengthens me for what he has called me to do. Remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ or by or with Christ. The preposition there can be for, by or with. 
I can do all things by Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens is a participle. Participles often end in ing. It gives the idea of moving action, continuous action. I can do all things through Christ who continues to strengthen me. He doesn't just strengthen me when I need his strength. He's always there. How many times have you prayed? I know I've prayed this way and erroneously so. Lord, give me the strength to resist this temptation. He's already given you the strength. It's already there. That's what he's telling us in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who is strengthening me. He isn't there to say, when I call him, suddenly he comes. He's always there. He's with me at all times. He is continually strengthening me. In Colossians 1.29, Paul again says, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works or which operates in me mightily. We strive to live the Christian life by the power of God. But part of that striving involves dealing with remaining sin. That is a reality. I have been made a new creature in Christ. The old man died. I've been made alive in Christ. Christ lives in me. But the reality is the flesh has not been regenerated. The flesh is still tied to this earth. The flesh still, like the, like the Jews in the wilderness, even though they had been in bondage, even though they had suffered terrible rigor under Pharaoh, and they'd ultimately come to a place where they were required to make bricks, but they had to get their own straw. They had to go out and get the straw and bring it back and then make the bricks before the straw was being presented to them. Now they had to get it themselves and still keep up the same daily supply of bricks. It was a terrible way to live. But in the wilderness, while they're on their way to the promised land, they're longing for the leeks and the garlics and the cucumbers of Egypt. They're longing for the life that was so horrible for them. But at that time, it, it, it seemed so sweet to them. From a distance, as they had been removed from Egypt, it just seemed so lovely to them. The same way sin does. That our old man has been crucified. We've been put to death. A new man has been created. Christ lives within us. I have the strength to do everything God calls me to do. But unfortunately, I still yield to sin. In 1 John 1.8, we read this. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now he's not talking about unbelievers here. Because unbelievers don't have the truth within them. He's talking about believers. And he said if we claim that we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Therefore remaining sin in the life of the believer is a reality. And when we yield to temptation we yield because we are like the Egyptian, or excuse me, like the Israelites looking back on Egypt, longing for the leeks and the garlic and the cucumbers. A life of bondage. Whenever we long for a life of sin, it promises great pleasures but only brings pain and suffering. Do you remember the old uh, program, I Love Lucy? I Love Lucy. There was uh, Lucy and Desi Arnaz. Desi was from Cuba. He had a Cuban accent. You remember he had some very famous lines. Lucy, 
You've got some splaining to do. Remember that? That was the, sort of a Cuban, that's my attempt at a Cuban accent. But, but the idea was, you could tell he had an accent. You could tell he came from a different language. But he spoke English all through the show until he became angry. Or until he became nervous. Or worried. Or upset. Or under pressure. And he would then immediately begin to spew words out of his mouth in Spanish. Spanish words would come out. He would revert back to that which was natural to him. He didn't traffic in that every day. That isn't the language he spoke every day. He spoke English. But when he was pressured. When difficulties came. He reverted back to that language. And Lucy would interrupt him and say. English please. English. The same thing is true with us. We almost wish that the old self would be raised back up again. But there's nothing there but death and sorrow and heartache and heartbreak. That's all that's there. You've been delivered from that. You may try to go back there. A Christian can try to go back. But you'll be miserable the whole time. You'll be miserable the whole time. That's what happens when we are tempted to be angry or frustrated. Oftentimes, those are the times when we are the least um, able to refute the enemy. Those times when we're stressed, when we're overly tired. Uh, please remember this. When we become severely fatigued and overly tired, not only are we not able, we don't have the strength to fight off an enemy who may come to us. We don't have the strength to fight off the spiritual enemy. At those points in time, that's when you cry out to God. Help me, strengthen me. Grant me your grace. In 1 John 2.1, we're instructed that sin may come. He's told us in his word, I've written all these things so that you will not sin. That's the plan. That's the goal. You have been delivered from the power of sin. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. He says, my little children, 1 John 2.1, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Some translations say, but if... New King James says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now here's the plan. God's plan is that you not sin. That's the plan. That's why he's given you everything he's given you. He's caused the old man to die. He's created a new life in you. He's placed the Spirit of God within you. You have that. You have at your disposal the Word of God. You have at your disposal the strength and the Holy Spirit to guide you and protect you and give you the strength you need. And he says, but if, or and if, we sin. Even if we do sin. We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney who pleads our cause. Hebrews chapter 7 says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Ever lives. He ever lives. He ever lives. So though we have remaining sin, we've been made alive in Christ. And the goal is to be so much more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. That ought to be our goal. And we need not despair. If you find yourself in a sin, in a spiral, in a way that you cannot escape, and you fear that you're never going to escape, you've pleaded with God. You've cried out to Him. You've begged Him to help you. You've begged Him to rescue you. And you just can't seem to get out of this whirlpool of sin. He reminds us, we have the strength. We have the strength. We must confess our sins. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I was in college, I was with a group that we went through the 
um, uh, Bowling Green National Park. And we went spelunking, which is basically you, you go down into the caves 300 feet below the surface and you've got a miner's hat on and a, a light bulb in front. And you go through caves underneath there where you're, it's only 54 inch diameter, and you've got to slide through this, and you go for maybe 20 feet, and you use your feet to push yourself along. You put your one hand in front of you, the other hand behind you, and you push yourself along. And there's a, a very frightening feeling that you've got 300 feet of rock above you, and you're craw crawling through this tunnel. We were there for a whole week. For six days, we were in those tunnels. We would come out of the tunnel at the end of the day and sleep in a tent. Next day, we'd go back out in the tunnels. For six days, we didn't shower. For six days. Hot, sweaty, cold. For six days. No shower. On the day that I finally took the shower, I never in my life felt as clean as I did there. I felt like there was a weight off my back. I felt like I could be close to people again. You know, when you allow sin to enter your life and you pamper it and you cater to it, you feel like everyone knows your sin is there. You feel like if you open your mouth and begin to speak about Christ, they'll expose you as a sinner. They'll expose you. Who are you to talk? You've got sin in your life. Book of Proverbs says, The wicked flee, but no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as lions. So he has given us the power to turn from sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, we died with Christ. Christ lives in us. And then lastly, the key to all this, we live by faith. We live by the faith that the cross of Christ secured for us. Look at, listen to what he says. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The power in our lives is granted to us by the faith given us by Christ. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. We talked about it at the very beginning. To live as a Christian is a difficult task because the whole world, according to 1 John 5.19, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. It's under the power of Satan. And we stand in the minority. And if you wish to live as a Christian, you must take a stand. You must plant your feet firmly. Ephesians chapter 6 and talking about the, the armor of the believer. <clears throat> Paul says, having done all, Stand in the power of the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord, the power of His might. Having done all, stand. Having done all you can do, dig your heels in and just stand. Stand there for whatever comes your way. Knowing that you have the help and the power and the closeness of the Lord. In 1 John 4, 9, God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's why He sent us. We've been talking about why did Jesus come to suffer and die? Why did he come? The one tonight is so that he might give us the enablement to live by faith. We saw in our call to worship that without faith it's impossible to please God. How does that faith come? It comes through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he bestows faith upon all those who humble themselves and come to him and believe. We trust in Christ moment by moment. We sang that hymn tonight. Dying with Jesus by death reckoned mine. Living with Jesus a new life divine. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. 
moment by moment I have life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he doth not bear. Never a sorrow that he doth not share. Moment by moment, I'm under his care. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I have life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Never a heartache and never a groan. Never a teardrop and never a moan. Never a danger but there on the throne. Moment by moment, he thinks of his own. That's the reality of the Christian life. That's what has been given to you through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It isn't just that you've chosen to follow a religious leader and you're going to do the best you can to stay in line. You can't do the best you can. You have no power. You have no strength. But he has all the power and he has all the strength. And what he asks of us and requires of us is that we follow him by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We trust him because he tells us to trust him. We believe him because he tells us to believe him. And you may have a repertoire of experiences in your life of the times when you rebelled against him and how he came along and disciplined you. But just remember this, the 103rd Psalm says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You've never gotten what you deserve. And now that you have been born again by the Spirit of God, what you deserve was laid upon Christ. And he suffered and he died for you. He gave you the ability to live by faith, to walk by faith, to trust him, and to know that as you pick up this word, you do believe it. He told us in Hebrews chapter 11, By faith we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. This great debate about the creation of the world. You're not going to convince the world that God created it. You're not going to. You're going to convince some within the world that God is dealing with and they're going to come out. But we do not have a a test tube here and a test tube there and suddenly dirt appears and out of that dirt comes flesh and out of that flesh uh, comes the sun and the moon and the stars and suddenly, all of a sudden, in the laboratory it comes to pass. He says, by faith we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We can't prove it to the world. But God has given you and God has given me eyes to see and a heart to believe that all of this was made by him. It makes perfect sense to us. makes perfect sense. Or realize also that the faith that he gave you, he gave to you as his own personal child. Walk in faith. Walk in obedience. Walk in victory. Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just think about that before we close. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't walk a dejected, wounded, defeated life. Don't allow the world to push you around. Don't allow the world to push you into its mold. Stand up. Stand upon the truths of the word of God. And know that as you stand there, God will give you the strength. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the ability to do what he's called you to do. Do you know Christ today? Have you trusted him? If you have, praise God for that. If you have not, then we ask that God would have mercy upon you, open your eyes and give you faith to believe the gospel. Let's bow for prayer. Father, it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we can have faith. And we ask that you'd work in our hearts, that you'd instruct us 
each and every day. That we might, uh, by faith, which according to the armor of the believer, it's called the shield of faith, and those weapons that you've given us, to shield us from the fiery darts of the evil one, the doubts and the lies and the frustrations and the fears that are, that are broadcast daily in this world. May we trust in you. As Solomon says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Be pleased to bring glory to yourself through this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.